0: This is the 30th of October in the year of our salvation, 2008, and this is Father John Zulsdorf with another podcast. Today we will hear from St. Augustine of Hippo, a frequent guest of ours here in these podcasts, He died in 430 AD, and uh, he delivered wonderful sermons in a series on the Psalms. So, we will listen today to two paragraphs from his exposition of Psalm 103. Drill into that section about starting with wild asses and then going on to birds and rocks and heretics and burning braziers or chimneys. And, of course, that means we have to look at the allegorical method of interpreting Scripture. We are also going to hear a beautiful recording of a chant by a new group of Benedictine sisters, the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles, whom I met recently in Kansas City. On the air, if you have a little time to spare, You'll enjoy each minute I declare While we're on the air You can sing All your cares won't mean a single thing You'll be just as happy as a king All the while you sing Though you are near or far No difference to me Just begin Tune right in We're like a big family On the air Greetings everybody everywhere Just one hour of happiness we'll share While we're on the air St. Augustine of Hippo, the great North African doctor of the church, the doctor of grace, as he is called, used an allegorical method to interpret the words of Scripture. Now, the word allegory, if you're not familiar with it, comes from the Greek allegoria, which comes from the verb allegorain, which means to speak so as to communicate some other thing. And so an allegory is a representation of some other meaning, it could be an abstract meaning or a spiritual meaning, through the use of figures or symbols. And so an allegory, and an allegorical method, is a treatment, a figurative treatment of one subject in order to get uh, at what the other real subject is, the deeper subject, underneath that's what an allegorical method of interpretation does it looks at what you know the surface words are the symbols and so forth and looks for the deeper reality so Augustine believed that deep realities in the Bible were communicated through signs and they required a very careful interpretation and not any not just anyone could do it you needed to be you know trained in these things and also to have the the clarity of soul that comes through holiness and So the characters in the Bible, or the objects, or the animals talked about, or the events themselves for Augustine often had a deeper meaning, especially for morals, or maybe for the way that God set things up, for example, between the Old and the New Covenant, so that one thing in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, would prefigure something to come in the New Testament. Uh, many of the prophecies of Christ or other spiritual realities that come from being a Christian, a believer and a disciple in Christ, were prefigured and symbolized in Old Testament objects and events and characters and so forth. Now, this allegorical method of interpretation would have been familiar to Augustine uh, from his acquaintance with the literature that was common to the study of his day for example this allegorical method was already being used to look at well, things for example like the writings of homer the iliad and the odyssey and so forth and uh, he also would have known about it through his acquaintance with platonic writings or the work of neo-platonic philosophers they also used allegory for example we can think of uh, plato's allegory of the cave and earlier christian writing writers uh, christian and jewish writers had used this method of interpretation much of this allegorical approach to writings came out of the school of alexandria in egypt now when i say school i'm kind of thinking of a, a school of thought rather than a, like a like a specific school or university for example where they studied this stuff they they were working these early christian writers were working in an environment that that blended together hellenic culture and philosophy together with the jewish um, beliefs um, before christianity and of course christianity in the centuries after that and so there are figures like philo who was a first century jewish commenter who used an allegorical approach to interpret the hebrew scriptures especially in light of platonic philosophy and among the christians we have the very famous third century writers like uh, clement of alexandria and uh, Origen. He's probably the most famous and the most important. But among the pagans, too, they're doing this, of course, of philosophers, especially the Neoplatonists were involved in this. And Remember, you have to remember all the time, all the time in thinking about the ancient world and writers like Augustine, the great fathers of the church, there are very close ties between early Christian theology and the Neoplatonists, the Neoplatonic philosophy. And uh, among the pagans, one of the most important figures for this is plotinus who is also from alexandria he's one of the most important of these neoplatonic writers and uh, now there was another uh, contrasting approach to scripture in the ancient world Uh, this wasn't a monolithic uh, period there are different people who different uh, ways of interpreting scripture Uh, in contrast to the strongly uh, neoplatonizing alexandrians we could juxtapose some of the writers whom we associate with the the sea of Antioch or the school of Antioch once again it's not a school it's kind of an approach and they more closely emphasized a literal meaning of scripture without of course rejecting an allegorical method of interpretation but what they were really kind of contrasted with what they rejected was the strongly neoplatonizing tendencies of the alexandrians and uh, well we should uh, move away from this so this is like a like a sea without a bottom if we were to get into this now so that said we can move on to what augustine is going to do in psalm 103 or do with psalm 103 in his interpretation of it now first of all of course you might be asking why am i today of all days looking at Augustine's exposition of Psalm 103. Well, it's absolutely for no other reason than it just simply amused me. I happened to look at it today because um, I need to have the chimney swept here at the Sabine farm. And I was thinking about what is the Latin word for chimney, and it's caminus, caminus. And so I did a word search and found that Augustine used the word um, several times in his exposition of Psalm 103, so I turned to that, looked it up, and found uh, discovered that he has three sermons on Psalm 103, and the one I kind of was looking at is the third of those three. It was a sermon, uh, as most of the uh, these these expositions of the Psalms are are really sermons, and uh, this was one that was preached in Carthage. Uh, probably, around four eleven, uh, the dating isn't really certain, and it may have been preached in the presence of Bishop Aurelius of Carthage. Uh, the first sermon of uh, these sermons on one o three was preached in his presence. Uh, Augustine mentions him, so it was probably uh, set up there in the in one of the churches of Carthage, and Augustine was the guest preacher, and everyone was there listening to him expose the psalms and This was a a program that Augustine had. He wanted to work his way through all the psalms, and he did it over a long period of time, and sometimes it, it took him a while to get through these very long and complicated psalms. But uh, anyway, I was looking up the word chimney, and I found that Augustine used it in this sermon, the exposition of Psalm 103, and he and then I saw that he talked about birds in it. Well, I happened to watch Birds, uh, when I'm here at the Sabine Farm at the feeder out the window. I'm sure you've seen the pictures on the blog. And he also talks about heretics. And I had just read and posted on the blog uh, yesterday about a truly heretical priest in the Diocese of Brisbane in Australia uh, who denies that Jesus is God, which makes him a pretty serious heretic. And so I am having heretics on. On the brain at the moment, I thought this was just about the right thing for a resumption of podcasting after a long break. So we have something serious and also something light and airy. So uh, we could get into a few of the words here uh, that you're going to hear. I'm going to do this in translation for you. Um, One of the the things you should pay attention to is how what Augustine, what the translator does with Augustine's Latin word "caminus." Remember now, "caminus." is the word for chimney but it's really the word for a furnace like the the kind of furnace that would be in a forge or the furnace to heat a house and so it would have a chimney on it or some kind of duct both for air and for smoke now in the translation we'll use uh, you'll hear the word brazier being used and that's uh, that stands for augustine's caminus. But um, this caminus is really something that has a chimney on it and a, and a duct. Now, the this, the bishop, uh, Augustine, of course, is going to be speaking uh, in this thing about the separation, a, a separation that takes place to the right and to the left. And he does this in the context of the word caminus in Latin. Now, another word for a chimney in Latin, I, I try to be thorough and increase my own vocabulary, Uh, Another word for chimney, though it isn't actually used in this sermon we're going to hear, is furka, which is like the word for a fork. Something which divides a fork in the road, a furka, or a fork you eat with. So a furka can also be part of a furnace apparatus uh, in a couple of different ways. It can be, for example, an upright steak with a fork on it to hang meat on to cook uh, or it can be like a duct to create a draft in the furnace. At least that's kind of how I'm taking it. now. It, but, you know, it's interesting that fork, a fork is sometimes used in Older English to describe the cross like a fork or a stake. And in Sermon uh, 47, Augustine talks about the cross of the Lord using the word uh, crux, which raises us up, a crux, which, which raises us, uh, and then the furka of the heretic, which pushes him down. So there's a crooks that he contrasts with furka, but they can both have kind of the same form. And uh, it's a, just to make a connection. You know, the the way that the ancient Jews used to cook the lamb at the Passover meal, they would use an upright stake, and they'd they'd gut the critter, and then they'd hang it upright on a kind of fork or stake near the fire to cook it and they would take its entrails and so forth and wrap it around the head almost like a crown so there are various ways in which the ancient practices of the Jews for Passover foreshadowed what was going to happen with Christ on Calvary with his crown of thorns upright on a stake on the cross raises us up so we have the contrast there of Furka and a crux, And you see I'm doing, having learned a lot from the fathers, I'm doing a little allegory here with you. So, uh, let's see, another word that we have to pay attention to here is onager. Well, if you don't know what an onager is, it's a type of wild ass. And uh, Augustine does something kind of fun with this. And you listen for the word onager, and he's talking about wild asses. And we're also going to be getting into... Um, Verse 12, I believe, is what he starts with. Now, these are paragraphs 5 and 6 of his exposition of Psalm 103. Now, pay attention, by the way, to how Augustine speaks of birds. Birds as being symbols of spiritual men, whom, he says, are the judges of all, but judged by judge themselves by no one. They are the judges of all, but judged by no one. So Augustine believes uh, that everyone could learn enough to come to salvation, but only certain advanced people could plumb the deeper questions. And among them, only uh, certain very holy people, uh, blessed by God, were what he called the homo spiritualis, or homines spirituales, the spiritual men. Now, the homines spirituales or spirituales could even correct bishops. They they would sit in judgment, for example, even on how the sacraments were celebrated. Normally, they would be people in uh, positions of authority or having to do with the administration of the sacraments, or um, they would be the ones who would preside over a church. But they needn't be. That's the interesting thing for Augustine. For Augustine, the homo spiritualis could be a, a layperson. In fact, could even be a woman. For example, uh, his mother Monica might be seen by Augustine as being one of these homines spiritales, And so these very interesting figures for Augustine Uh, they judge and approve what they find correctly done in the church and they blame what they find wrongly done in for example the administration of the sacraments or in the eucharist or in the Words that are used to interpret or explain or dispute things uh, you know just the words that we use so even for example things that are interpreted according to the allegorical interpretation or even the teaching of a bishop so uh, Augustine has a very interesting uh, interesting approach to these spiritual men and and I believe that what he's doing in this in this uh, psalm here is he's making a reference to that and he's using the figure of birds to get at that too and you know it's i i know a little bit about this because i wrote my first thesis at the augustinianum in rome and i delved into this question but you know this is just an introductory section here i can really i can come back to that later on in the podcast anyway let's listen also to a distinction that augustine makes between the carnal and the spiritual now he doesn't mean carnal here only in the case of sexual it's more like uh, someone who is mired in worldly things like you know the things of the senses and of matter rather than spiritual things or heavenly things and finally, uh, before we get into the psalm, listen to uh, the attitude Augustine has about schism, schismatics, and heretics. He see for Augustine, he had a real horror of schism and of heresy. You know, for Augustine, heresy and schism are serious violations of charity. And people who fall into heresy and who cause schism are really caught up in self-love, false love not true love they're caught up in false faith not true faith and uh, you might uh uh then you know listen to all you know for these you know words and like onager and you know um listen to how he talks about birds and and the spiritual um interpretation of all these symbols and so forth we're going to get in as we move now into paragraph 5 and 6 translated by Augustine of Hippo, it's a sermon called The Exposition of Psalm 103, preached probably in 411 in Carthage. The text of the psalm proceeds thus: On them birds of the sky will dwell, on what on the onagers or on the mountains probably the latter because the sense follows on better that way streams shall follow midway between the mountains all the woodland beasts will drink there and the onagers will quench their thirst on them birds of the sky will dwell It is more intelligible if we take it as on the mountains, because they are a habitat suited to this particular creature. Flying creatures can dwell on mountains, but not on wild asses. We would only understand it in the latter sense if we had no alternative. Well, then, creatures that fly beneath heaven will dwell on the mountains. We certainly do observe birds flying there and dwelling there, but many other birds live in fields, many in valleys, others in woods, others in gardens. Not all birds are mountain dwellers, though some species will live nowhere but on mountains. Now, birds represent spiritual souls. Winged creatures symbolize the hearts of spiritual persons, which enjoy the freedom of the air. These birds exult in calm skies, yet their food is on the mountains, and that is where they make their home. You know what mountains are. That has been explained already. The prophets are mountains. The apostles are mountains. All preachers of truth are mountains. Whoever aspires to a spiritual life should live among them, and beware of getting lost by following his own Heart. Let him live there and grow strong by flying. We can be sure, then, that birds represent something spiritual. It was no idle promise that your youth will be renewed like an eagle's. Psalm 102, three, verse 5. Nor is it without significance that we are told concerning Abraham, he did not divide the birds. Genesis 15:10. You remember that very mysterious sacrifice? Abraham took three animals, a three-year-old ram, a three-year-old heifer, and a three-year-old she-goat. He also took a turtle dove and a pigeon. The ram was cut in half, and its two halves arranged opposite each other. The she-goat was halved, and the pieces placed opposite each other. The heifer was cut in half, and its carcass arranged similarly. Scripture then states, he did not divide the birds. What is more, it tells us that the ram, the heifer, and the she-goat were all three years old, but says nothing of the age of the birds. Now Why is that? I am asking you. Could it be because the birds represent spiritual persons? Their temporal age is not mentioned because they meditate on eternal realities and by their desire and understanding they transcend all the things of time. Then as to the undivided state of the birds, these are a symbol of spiritual men, who are judges of all, but judged themselves by no one. They alone, therefore, do not splinter into heresies and schisms. The ram is a figure of prelates who lead the flock. The heifer stands for the Jewish people, because they wore the yoke of the law and labored under it. The she-goat represents the church gathered from the Gentiles, because it used to leap about unrestrainedly and feed on wild olives. These three animals are named because it was in the Third Age... That grace was revealed. The first age was that which preceded the law. The second opened when the law was promulgated. The third, in which we live, is the time when the kingdom of heaven is preached. Can we truly say that the ram, taken in the figurative sense, is not divided? Were not schisms and heresies initiated by bishops? Yes. But if the peoples themselves had not been divided, if neither heifer nor she goat had been divided, we might say the leaders would perhaps have been ashamed of their divisions and would have returned to union with the rest. When leaders are disunited, the peoples are disunited too. And then the blind lead the blind, and they fall into the pit together all these are placed in opposition to each other. But he did not divide the birds. Spiritual persons are not so divided; they harbor no thoughts of schism, but live tranquilly; they encourage peace in others in so far as they can, and when it fails in other people, they preserve it in themselves. If a son of peace is there, the gospel tells us, your peace will rest upon him, but if not, it will revert to you. Luke 10.6 If that other person is no son of peace, he has been wanting division. And in that case, your peace will come back to you. This is what is suggested by the fact that Abraham did not divide the birds. Sooner or later, the brazier will appear. The story relates that Abraham remained sitting there until nightfall, and then he was overcome by a mighty terror of judgment day. That nightfall signifies the end of the world, and the brazier the future day of judgment. The parts of the animals were separated already, but the brazier came to reinforce the separation. For if it passed down the middle, It must have made a sharp distinction between those to the right of it and those to the left. There are people of carnal disposition still within the embrace of the church. They live in their own fashion, and we should be apprehensive, lest they be seduced by heresies, because, being carnal, they are prone to division. He did not divide the birds, but the carnal are divided. Not as spiritual persons could I speak to you, but only as carnal, Paul complains. How do we prove that carnally minded persons are divided? By Paul's reproof. When every one of you is saying, I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos, I belong to Cephas, are you not carnal still, conducting yourselves in a merely human way? Listen to this warning, brothers and sisters, I beg you, and take it to heart. Tear yourselves away from the carnal position, And take your place with the turtle-dove and the pigeon, For he did not divide the birds. If anyone neglects to change, and persists in a lifestyle Characteristic of carnal persons, yet does not leave the bosom of the church, and is not seduced by heretics, the brazier will come to separate him or her from the opposing party, for in the end it will not be possible to be on the right side, without the intervention of the brazier. Anyone who dreads being burnt by it should join the turtle-dove and the pigeon now, let those who can't accept this accept it what if such a person does not but builds in wood hay and straw one corinthians three twelve that is to say superimposes the love of worldly things upon the foundation of his faith even so Provided that Christ is there as the foundation, and holds first place in such a person's heart, worldly loves can be borne and tolerated, for the brazier will come and burn up the wood and the hay and the straw, but he himself will be saved, though it be through fire. 1 Corinthians 3.15 It will be the work of the burning brazier to separate people. Some will be to the left, Others sifted out for the right. He did not divide the birds. But the birds must watch out, If they are the kind of birds adapted to life on the mountains. They must not be led astray into any self-exaltation, Like the people of whom it is said, Their boastful talk is directed to the sky. Psalm 72, 73, verse 9. Let them Roost on the mountains, lest they be snatched away by the winds. The authority of the saints is there for them. So let them roost on the mountains, on the apostles and on the prophets. Let birds of such plumage dwell there, for on the mountains they find rocks, the stable firmness of the commandments. As there is one single rock, Christ, the word of God, There are also many words of God, like so many rocks, And these rocks are to be found on the mountains. Watch the birds that dwell there, For on the mountains birds of the sky will dwell. Do not imagine, though, that these creatures flying under heaven Claim any authority for themselves, For the psalm continues, They will sing their song from among the rocks. Suppose I were to say to you today, You have to believe this because Cicero said it, Plato said it, Pythagoras said it. Wouldn't you all laugh at me? I would be like a bird, chirping, but not from the rock. What ought every one of you say to me? How should a person respond who has heard Paul's warning, If anyone preaches to you a gospel different from the one you have received, Let him be accursed." Galatians nine. You should reply, Why talk to me about Plato, or Cicero, or Virgil? You have the mountains and the rocks right in front of you. Speak from a place amid the rocks. They will sing their song from among the rocks. Only those who listen to the rock deserve to be heard. Let them be heard, because... Even in these many rocks, the voice of one rock is speaking, and the rock is Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.4 Yes, let us hear them eagerly, those who utter their cries from the heart of the rocks. Nothing is sweeter than this kind of bird's song. They chirp. Spiritual persons discuss, the rocks ring with it, and the teaching of scripture's answers. Listen to the winged creatures, giving voice from amid the rocks, for they dwell on the mountains. That was Augustine of Hippo and his exposition of Psalm 103, the third sermon of his expositions of Psalm 103, paragraphs 5 and 6. Now, notice how Augustine used scripture to interpret scripture. And well, this is because every word of scripture, according to Augustine, is really Christ-speaking. So you can use scripture to interpret scripture. And this is what he is doing with his allegorical interpretation also of the rocks. There are many little rocks which we can take as words of Scripture, but there is one great rock who is Christ. And so when the spirituals sing among the rocks, they are really rooted in Christ and therefore rooted in Scripture. And the rocks are in the mountains. And so the spiritual birds go up in the mountain to get their their nourishment and to dwell among them and to be safe and to sing among the rocks. And so these mountains are the authorities, such as the prophets and the apostles. And of course, for Augustine, the successor of the apostles, the bishop. And there can be bad chirping, but that's going to come from worldly or carnal sources, and then there's good chirping. The good chirping from the rocks are from the spiritual souls that fly upwards. Also notice how Augustine says that it is God in the red-hot brazier which separates the groups to the right and to the left, not man. It's God's job, not man's job. And so in the church, only those whose authority... Is from God should dare to act to separate men. And it's interesting what might have been going on in the community here. You see, in 4:11, there are different controversies going on. You know, the Donatist thing is still going on. There are problems rising, problems with the the Pelagians, and I'm sure that this was pitting you know groups against each other. So when men make divisions, that's something that's truly wicked. When they split off themselves themselves, and maybe others also from the church, that's terribly wicked. And this is what is involved in heresy. It's really also a lack of charity, you see, because it creates divisions. But remember also that Augustine, uh, in that controversy with the Donatists, had to fight against the conception of a church of the pure uh, to the uh, donatists he proposed the parable of the men the man with a field in which an enemy had sowed weeds or tares that's the parable of the wheat and the tares uh, the separation of the weeds and the wheat would come at the harvest time not as they were growing because if you you know the were to rip things up as they were growing you'd rip up the good stuff and not just the bad stuff because the roots are all tangled up together you see God is the separator so it's going to happen at the harvest time. So if someone is going astray, yes, we have to recognize that fact and maybe, you know, church authority can act on it. Uh, as Augustine is speaking about the, you know, the carnal men, we have to recognize who they are. But we also have to recognize that the church is not a church of the perfect. It's not a church of the pure. The church is really a hospital for the sick, for the needy, for the imperfect. And we are all imperfect, and we all need the church, and some people go astray. But we should always remember, even in our recognition of what's going on around us, you know, not closing our eyes to heresy or schism and being smart about things, even if we're not the very authorities of the church who can make formal distinctions about who is able to communicate with us and who is not able to communicate and so forth, we must remember that in the final analysis, God is the judge we are not the judge god will make the final separation not us and so there's always hope for those who have separated themselves and we should treat them always with the necessary charity manifested properly to help bring them back into the fold lest they perish lest they perish in the fire now a little while ago i mentioned that thesis well when i one of the things that i wrote about in the thesis was about this issue of the homo spiritualis well this is how that came about back in 1990 i was working in the vatican in the palazzo Sant'Uffizio, where the congregation for the doctrine of the faith is that's also where the pontifical commission ecclesia day is and in the hallways there around the place i used to be able to run into cardinal ratzinger very frequently and when i did Uh, i had absolutely you know no fear of the fellow because of his you know kind and uh, very gentle uh, approach especially his interest in getting questions so i used to ask him questions all the time or give him my observations and uh, one day uh, very soon after the congregation came out with a document about the ecclesial vocation of the theologian i ran into uh, his eminence, Cardinal Ratzinger, now Benedict XVI in the hallway. And I said to him, well, I read your your document on the the role of the, of the theologian. And he, you know, very kindly with a little twinkle in his eye, said, well, what did you think of it? And I said, well, your eminence, I didn't like it very much. Well, that surprised him. And uh, he asked why? You know, imagine such a thing. Prefect of the Congregation for Doctrine of the Faith asking, you know, a guy like me at that time, well, (laughs) why? I mean, it just blows your mind, the humility of the man. Anyway, I said, well, your eminence, I read it, and you're talking about the theologian all the time, but you don't really describe who a theologian is. And he thought about that for a while, and then he said, well, why don't you tell us? Well, that drew for me sort of a shocked Uh, laugh, I guess. And I asked asked him how he suggested I do that. And he said, well, you're studying across the street at the Augustinianum. Why don't you go and ask one of the fathers of the church who a theologian is? Why not ask St. Augustine who a theologian is? And that was my thesis topic. So uh, I wrote a thesis called The Theologian, And I use the word theologian between quotation marks because it's a modern term, really, and something foreign to the ancient idea of who this figure would be. So I wrote about the theologian and his ecclesial vocation of love as an introductory examination of an unspoken ideal in the works of Augustine of Hippo, and I say an unspoken ideal, because Augustine, although he uses the word theologus, he's using it in various different ways. So I had to figure out who theologian would be, in the in the thought of Augustine of Hippo, and that suge- that was suggested to me by Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, now Benedict the Sixteenth. And um, it's interesting that many years before, when he was young. Uh, he was, it was suggested to him that he take a burning question of his day, you know, what is the people of God, who is the people of God, and go back to the fathers of the church and interrogate St. Augustine. So that's what his first thesis was about, the house and the people of God and Augustine of Hippo. So it's um, just a uh, one way to approach things. You know, you take a burning question, and this is part of Ratzinger, Pope Benedict's methodology. He'll take a burning question of our day and then he'll search for wisdom about this and insight in not only in Scripture but in the Fathers of the Church. And the Fathers of the Church also who use an allegorical interpretation not just a historical, literal interpretation of things. If you look at his book, Jesus of Nazareth, he talks about the utility not just of the modern tools of scholarship and the historical critical method which can have problems if it's not balanced out by something else well what could that be balanced out by well partly it could be balanced out by a spiritual reading of things an allegorical interpretation of things for example going back to the fathers and learning how to read scripture with the fathers again in order to gain a kind of a balance a fuller understanding of what god is saying to us in the words of sacred wit. Bless the Lord, O my soul! O Lord my God, Thou art exceedingly great! THOU HAST PUT ON PRAISE IN THE BEAUTY, AND ART CLOTHED WITH LIGHT AS WITH A GARMENT, WHO STRETCHEST OUT THE HEAVEN LIKE A PAVILION, WHO COVEREST THE HIGHER ROOMS THEREOF WITH WATER, WHO MAKEST THE CLOUDS THY CHARIOT, WHO WALKEST UPON THE WINGS OF THE WINDS, WHO MAKEST THY ANGELS, SPIRITS, AND THY MINISTERS A BURNING FIRE. WHO HAST FOUNDED THE EARTH UPON ITS OWN BASES, IT SHALL NOT BE MOVED for ever AND EVER. THE DEEP, LIKE A GARMENT, IS ITS CLOTHING, ABOVE THE MOUNTAINS SHALL THE WATERS STAND. AT THY REBUKE THEY SHALL FLEE, AT THE VOICE OF THY THUNDER THEY SHALL FEAR. THE MOUNTAINS ASCEND, AND THE PLAINS DESCEND INTO THE PLACE WHICH THOU HAST FOUNDED FOR THEM. THOU HAST SET A BOND, WHICH THEY SHALL NOT PASS OVER, NEITHER SHALL THEY RETURN TO COVER THE EARTH. THOU SENDEST FORTH SPRINGS IN THE VALES, BETWEEN THE MIDST OF THE HILLS THE WATERS SHALL PASS. ALL THE BEASTS OF THE FIELD SHALL DRINK, THE WILD ASSES SHALL EXPECT IN THEIR THIRST. OVER THEM THE BIRDS OF THE AIR SHALL DWELL, FROM THE MIDST OF THE ROCKS THEY SHALL GIVE FORTH THEIR VOICES. Thou waterest the hills from thy upper rooms. The earth shall be filled with the fruits of thy works, bringing forth grass for cattle and herb for the service of men, that thou mayest bring bread out of the earth, and that wine may cheer the heart of man, that he may make the face cheerful with oil, and that bread may strengthen man's heart. The trees of the field shall be filled, and the cedars of Libanus, which he hath planted. There the sparrows shall make their nests. The highest of them is the house of the heron. The high hills are a refuge for the hearts, the rock for the urchins. He hath made the moon for seasons, the sun knoweth his going down. Thou hast appointed darkness, and it is night IN IT SHALL ALL THE BEASTS OF THE WOODS GO ABOUT. THE YOUNG LIONS ROARING AFTER THEIR prey, AND SEEKING THEIR MEAT FROM GOD. THE SUN ARISETH, AND THEY ARE GATHERED TOGETHER, AND THEY SHALL LIE DOWN IN THEIR DENS. MAN SHALL GO FORTH TO HIS WORK, AND TO HIS LABOR UNTIL THE EVENING. HOW GREAT ARE THY WORKS, O LORD! THOU HAST MADE ALL THINGS IN WISDOM, The earth is filled with thy riches. So is this great sea, which stretcheth wide its arms. There are creeping things without number, Creatures little and great. There the ships shall go, This sea-dragon which thou hast formed to play therein. All expect of thee that thou give them food in season. What thou givest to them they shall gather up, When thou openest thy hand, they shall all be filled with good. But if thou turnest away thy face, they shall be troubled. Thou shalt take away their breath, and they shall fail, and shall return to their dust. Thou shalt send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure for ever. THE LORD SHALL REJOICE IN HIS WORKS. HE LOOKETH UPON THE EARTH, AND MAKETH IT TREMBLE. HE TOUCHETH THE MOUNTAINS, AND THEY SMOKE. I WILL SING TO THE LORD AS LONG AS I LIVE. I WILL SING PRAISE TO MY GOD WHILE I HAVE MY BEING. LET MY SPEECH BE ACCEPTABLE TO HIM, BUT I WILL TAKE DELIGHT IN THE LORD. Let sinners be consumed out of the earth, and the unjust, so that they be no more. O my soul, bless thou the Lord. when i was in kansas city recently for the consecration of old saint patrick's by bishop robert finn a very fine bishop indeed using the older traditional pontifical a very impressive ceremony my heavens why did we ever change it i met a new community of benedictine sisters the benedictines of mary queen of apostles they have a wonderful apostolate of praying for priests And I found on their website that they have a CD of their own chant and uh, chants of their own compositions as well. So let's hear the sisters as they sing. Those were the Benedictines of Mary in Missouri, near Kansas City. And you can find more info about them at www.benedictinesofmary.org. And you can make a donation and buy that CD called Echoes of Ephesus. Their house is called the Priory of Our Lady of Ephesus. And any young women looking for a traditional Benedictine life would do very well to contact these fine young sisters. I was deeply impressed by them. They have a clear identity and a clear work, uh, not only prayer, but also prayer for priests, which makes them uh, very special. And uh, as of the 6th of January in 2009, they hope to have... Twenty-one sisters, so they're a growing young community. I was very impressed by them. With that, I'm going to wrap up this podcast. The first podcast in quite a while. As a matter of fact, I haven't made one for a very long time. And uh, so there were several reasons for that. First of all, I was traveling, and when you're doing that, you just you know can't it's just too hard for me to make it when I travel. And uh, frankly, I was a little tired, uh, a little burned out, I think, and uh, I also then, uh, for a while I've had some problems with my teeth. I broke off a big chunk of my front tooth, which made speaking made speaking very hard, at least speaking clearly. And so I am right now in the purgatory of dental work as a result, and that's uh, you know anything that's enough to drain anybody's spirit and their wallet. There's nothing fun about dental work, and I think it might all be Adam's fault. I'm, that's at least that's what I'm guessing. It's Adam's fault. I'll blame it on him for now. Although really, if I'm being just, I should probably blame it on myself as well. Um, isn't we uh, read in one of the maledictory? Psalms, um, Deus excute dentes eorum ex ore eorum molares leonum confringe Domine. Right, uh, God, oh, break in the their teeth. He's talking about the wicked and uh, the the ones who uh, have gone astray. The wicked, He'd br- break in the teeth of the wicked and uh, from their mouths and uh, break the the molars of the lions. I think that's Something like Psalm 58, maybe 57, 57, I think. Break the teeth. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's what happened to me. So, I suppose uh, these things come into the life of all the wicked, and I am among them just as you are, just as everyone is. Uh, Thank God for Christ and His Church, the hospital, maybe the dental chair, the dental chair for all of us who have such great need. He drills into us every once in a while, and then he caps us, and he cleans us, and he picks on us when it's necessary, and uh, does uh, various things that are uncomfortable to us at the moment, but in the long run are for our good. So please uh, come and visit the blog, wdtprs.com, Whiskey Delta Tango, Papa Romeo Sierra, I haven't said that for a while, dot .com, and uh, participate in the, in the discussions. They are wide-ranging. And uh, also, uh, very kindly, pray for me as I will pray for you. And I'll be back again soon with another podcast.